0: There's a uh, image I was thinking about when we were singing tonight and I just want to walk you through it. Uh, you guys are all familiar with the Day of Atonement. The uh, Jews would refer to it as Yom Kippur. And uh, it was a very solemn occasion. It was the only only time, as it says in, uh, in Hebrews, it's the only time once a year where the, the Holy of Holies would be entered. Uh, the holy of holies, there's two compartments in the temple, right? There's there's the holy place where the priests would go in, they'd have the rotation and make sure that there was always, you know, oil for the lamp. You can't the uh, the oil for the lamp, the uh drawing the menorah. And then there would be showbread there, and there would be incense oil, there would be a flame going, and um, basically they would have that they would enter in regularly, but the holy of holies, the holy most holy place was behind a veil. And it went into this um, back area where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they had some items in there, like the Ten Commandments and the rod that um, Aaron had that budded. And then the manna, jar of manna was in there. And Yom Kippur was the one day a year when that that compartment in the back, the most holy place, was accessed. And it was accessed by the, the high priest the high priest, only the high priest among the other priests, Levitical priests, would enter in the Holy of Holies through that second er- into that second area where if you did not go uh, fully prepared in terms of um, your preparations, uh, then, then it was just something that you had to have bells on you just in case. There was usually a tassel or a rope um, that would be attached to you just in case if you went in with sin or sin that was un... Um, reckon then you would die because you're in the presence of the Lord and, and the Lord is the holy there's nothing holier than God you know there, there, that's the that's the ultimate uh, purity that brings such power and magnitude and, in terms of who god is he's, he's completely without sin completely separated from sin and and there's such power in that purity that literally be bringing sin into his presence is 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 equivalent with just instantaneous death because it cannot be. So, if you're going to go into the Holy of Holies on any other day, then you're dead. And if you go in as the high priest, the only person that could go in, and you went in um, not properly prepared, then you would die. Because God, again, in his purity and his power and his holiness, will not even allow for sin to be there in the form of not covered, not forgiven. Now you may ask right away, well, I thought Satan could go before God and he's father of lies. And yeah, that's true. Whatever way God has that handled, but he does not stay there. There's a difference between going to your father and residing there as a child and being welcomed and being the arch enemy of God, right? We know, however that works, I don't know. But in this case, on the, on the day of Yom Kippur, there were two goats. And there was one goat where... Um, you know, the, the whole, you guys may be familiar with this, but there's a whole process by which the priest had prepared these goats for the people. You see, it was a communal, uh, it was a communal event. It wasn't just for the high priest to be able to go and say, yeah, I made it in, it came out, okay, it's all cool. But it was a communal event. He was representing the whole nation of Israel when he entered. So, not only was the high priest uh symbolically representing himself and needing to be purified but he was really taking the people and all their sins and even the breastplate that the high priest would wear it was symbolic of the 12 tribes he he carried them on his being and he went before the holy throne of god and and he did that with with blood being spilled and, and there was two goats like i said and one of them would have been sacrificed the blood would have been spilled there would be the high priest and then there was the kind of the backup guy um What's, what, what do they call the people that have the lead and there's a person, the understudy? Is that what it's called in a play? Well, I kind of liken it to a re, you know, spiritual understudy. This guy was there through the whole steps just in case uh, the regular high priest, the one he was supposed to go in, couldn't do the job for whatever reason. You know, He got ill or something happened to him. Maybe he had a slip of a knife and cut him or something. If he couldn't fulfill his duties, the backup guy would take his place. So the two of them were there preparing these two goats. And one was called um, the offering or the, the, the goat that would be, um, would be brought in and sacrificed right there, with the, right before the people and before the temple in front, in front of everyone. This wasn't inside, this was outside. And um, basically what would happen was they would distinguish the two goats, one to be sacrificed there at the start, and then the other one was the scapegoat. And they sacrificed that scapegoat in a different way um but to make sure they knew which goat was which they would tie uh crimson yarn around the um, the goat that was to be sent off and of course the other one was sacrificed there the blood was spilled it was prepared and the the backup guy if you will i don't know what to call him other than the stand-in if something happened with the first guy he had the the blood in a in a vessel and he would stir it he'd keep stirring it so when well, anyways, it wouldn't coagulate and whatnot. So he had a job to do, and he was very intent on it. Well, the other scapegoat, and that's, this is where I was headed with this when we were worshiping, of give me clean hands and give me a pure heart and, Lord, let, let me not bow, you know, or let not evil things be before me. The second goat was called the scapegoat. Well, what they would do is really interesting. They'd take the yarn off, the crimson yarn that was first identifying as a second goat, and they would, they would tack it up at the temple I'm not exactly sure specifically where, but I'm, it was in before the sight of all the people because it was a communal event. Everybody was there at the temple. This was a huge event. They're all on looking to this whole procedure going on because they knew they had to be represented by the high priest. They were there in attendance as they could be. But this, this marker, this crimson material, this yarn, if you will, was placed in a place prominent to everyone's view. And they would take, the, uh, take that scapegoat and the other, this priest would lead it on his job. He would lead it out of the camp, out of the city, out of the uh, Jerusalem. He'd go out into, uh, ultimately, there were other priests at markers a certain distance away from the next guy. It was kind of like, you know, he walked so far with the goat and there was a guy to just say, hey, it's all clear, everything's going well, the guy's made it this far with the goat. And he would go to the next marker and there was another person um, waiting for him there. And eventually they got to a cliff. And they took the goat up the cliff. And uh, there the uh, the marker, the last lead was taken off the goat. And the goat was there um, after the priest would do some ceremony. That he would push the goat off the cliff. And um, that was symbolic because... There was In last week's message, I don't know if you remember this, but I was talking about forgiveness is a, is a word that has a uh, separating or sending away component to it. And it was really a message that went con- consistent with that scapegoat. That your sin, the priest would put his hands upon the head of the animal and they would lead it outside the camp, outside the city. Symbolic of what? Symbolic of your sin is being paid for by the one goat. Your sin is also being separated from you. It's leaving the camp. It's outside the city. Everyone is here, but the sin leaves. It's being dealt with. How is it being dealt with? In both cases, in both animals, they're sacrificed in different ways. Okay? Where did Jesus die? Died outside, right? He was taken outside to Mount Riot to Calvary. But he spilled his blood to you. This is kind of a separating as well as uh, a dying for us, shedding blood. But do you know that piece of crimson yarn? Everybody would be focused on it. Why? Because as, as uh, the story would go, what was passed down through rabbis and legends and historians was they would watch that crimson material that was from the scapegoat, and they knew when the scapegoat died because it would turn white. It would turn white. And so they would know the penalty's been paid. My sin has been dealt with. It's taken far from me. And this, when I see the crimson go to white, I know that God has received that sacrifice and my sin has been separated from me. And, um, and so, can you imagine doing that year after year? After year after year? I mean, every year. Only once a year, but it was a pretty memorable moment. All the nations there looking on. And, and, and then you have Jesus paying our price and taking the sin upon Himself. All of our sin. And really separating it from us outside the camp. And in a sense, dying for our sins in a real sense. And it's, and it's almost like the audience of the Father, as well as all the people, see the remnant of sin go from red, crimson red, to white. The prophets talk about it like Isaiah, remember? Even though your, your sins are like scarlet, they'll be like wool. Even though they're, both, they're like crimson. There'll be why. All those references are all talking about. There's something that has to happen for our sin to be forgiven of us. It's not being a good person, although that's great. It's not trying to be religious, although that's great too, in a sense. If we're doing what God wants us to do, in honor of Him. It's not a. It's not a thing where you earn certain points for being born in the right place or having the right parents any of those things really come into play of separating your sin from you and being dealt with ultimately to turn your crimson stains to white, the only thing that happens to make that happen is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, perfect, without blemish, the animal symbolic of the future Savior comes in your place and says, I will die for you and your sin will be sent away and it will be paid for as it justly should be. And thereby, your your sins are white. They're not. They're not even there anymore. It's totally brand new, and you're a new creation in Christ. And and so, in terms of us in our prayer, you know, my my prayer for the, even this group is that we would leave the evil things re- behind, even though they're very much around us all the time, really beckoning us. Come back to me. I'm much more better than this religious stuff. Um, the other prayer would be that we would turn our backs on those idols that compete for our allegiance with the Lord and we would see God's sacrifice of his own son as so great a thing that we would be drawn away from what's evil and be drawn to the king himself who paid for our sin and, um, and so those things as, as we come together that's really that's really our prayer is that, is that we would come close to the sacrifice we would come close to the savior we would remember through Paul everything that Christ has done on our behalf so that we would be drawn To love Him, right? Like last week. To love Him our whole lives. And forever after we die. Or if He comes to take us home, that would be awesome too. Interesting. Interesting how far the Lord will go to make sure we understand both what the penalty for sin is, and also, moreover, the solution for it. The hope that is the the gospel. There's a few main things we're going to cover tonight. And I want to look at one verse in particular. It, it kind of sets a the theme for the whole thing in this second section. We got to we got to through verse 14 of chapter one of Ephesians last time, and uh, I uh, I thank you for for being patient last week. I uh, I realize that we went a long time in that study, but it, it's for good measure, right? When you can understand what Jesus has done for you a little bit clearer, hopefully, and where you stand as a child of God, I think it's time well spent. Um, but the verse we're looking at tonight and everything else will really flow out of it, is in, is in verse 18 and 19. There's, there's basically three things that Paul prays for the believer that we would understand more deeply and more clearly. And it's as much true for us as it has been uh, for anyone, including those in Ephesian church and the people of his day. It says he, he's basically saying, let's, let's pick it up in verse 15, go through uh, 19. So therefore, in light of all that Christ has done for you, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So there's a first one what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints there's a second one and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power that's the third one okay three things that you would understand how great is the hope of your calling number 1 number 2 Paul wants to pray for us that we would understand what what is the really the incomparable riches of of our inheritance in Christ. And then, third, to know and understand the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, being at work in you. Um, those three things Paul's going to highlight for us that he's going to be praying for this Ephesian church, these Christians, to understand more deeply. Let's continue reading. Which he worked in Christ, verse 20, when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's the power he's talking about. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet. And gave him to be head over all things to the church. Which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, this is such good news. This is such, this is the best news ever known to mankind. That we who are far off, when we are aliens and strangers, to the commonwealth of Israel, the blessing of being a Jew, being raised and prepared for the Messiah God, we did not partake of it as these did. But, but Lord, we recognize, God, that, that You have opened up the gates. You have opened up the Holy of Holies to the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Lord, that we could be counted into the blessing, to the hope of a calling that's so wonderful that we'll spend eternity pondering it. Lord, to have an inheritance that goes this life and the next life, never to grow old, never to decay, never to have moth or rust destroy, never to have thieves steal it away, God. It's just secure in Christ for us, Lord, to have the power in our lives that raised Jesus from the dead, Lord. That That's almost too... Uh, amazing to even comprehend. And Lord, you've given it tonight, Lord, for us to look at afresh. And Lord, I pray really sincerely, God, that you would work through my lips. God, use me as a vessel. And Lord, let us all really glory in it tonight. God, don't let this be just words. Please, God, let it be what it is, life. Sustenance, Lord, for us, your children. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for this letter from Paul that we could feast on tonight. And uh, just help us as we do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul's pretty pumped. Verse 15. He's pretty pumped on, on two things about them. What are those two things he points out? What, number one, their faith, right? Their faith. And uh, there's something interesting here in that he would be pumped in their faith because he's going to recognize that... Uh, that they're in need of some um, real strong gospel information to complement their faith. Their faith is in what they know about Christ at the time, right? In other words, these Gentile believers, for the most part, they're coming out of a culture, as we pointed out before, of of worshiping Diana. They're coming out of a culture that they're, they're inundated with the fact that if you're not worshipping Diana, not only are you uh, really a misfit in the community, because who wouldn't worship her? And who wouldn't worship her at the, at the temple? But also, you're, probably your livelihood has suffered. Because there's so much of the economy tied into this worship system that to miss out on that or to be outcast from that or to set yourself apart from that uh, meant um, real suffering. Real suffering in a lot of ways. Economically, just one of them. And, um, and he's saying, you know, you know, you might not know everything there is. Being new to this whole thing, Christianity, and how Jesus fits into the whole scheme of God's plan. Remember, he says, this was being worked out before the foundation of the world. But it's been been a vessel of my nation, Israel, that's brought the, the festivals, brought the Yom Kippur's, brought the Passover's, brought the law through Moses, to prepare them with understanding about what's needed for the forgiveness of sin. That there's no forgiveness you know, outside of sacrifice. That they're seeing it day in, day out. They're seeing the animals slaughtered right before them. And they're seeing that crimson material turn to white. And there's a message there you can't miss. And he's saying, you Gentiles have been without all that. But I've heard about your faith and what you know. And what do you know? Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. There was this Jesus, the Messiah. And I don't necessarily understand all that it means for the Jews, but I know this. That he opened opened up the gate so wide that it includes now me. This little person in in western Turkey of today. You know, who am I? I was totally out. You know, it was foreign left field, you guys, for this, to overtake this area in such a dramatic way. These people were just getting accustomed to what does it mean to actually not worship Diana. But who is a local, you know, deity. Sure, it was big business, but still to expand your mind, there's a God who created earth and sky and the heavens that I can't see. They're just getting, just inundated with information. Can you imagine somebody coming out of that world system having no understanding of the, of the Jewish system at all, or the patriarchs, or the prophets, or the messages they're in, coming into this thing called Judaism? Like, what in the world? What is all this? You mean I can't eat pork? I love pork. If you had bacon lately, it's amazing. You know, it's like, what do you mean? What's all that about? So it's just like there's curiosity going on. But he's like, I know. You guys need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truths of the gospel. There's, there's levels here. There's layers. There's um, layers of soil as you dig in to the gospel that you're just not going to find the depths of. But you need some more information that I'm going I'm to impart to you. But you're going to need the Holy Spirit to get there. But even so, even that at this stage in your faith, I've heard about it. Isn't that great? The Ephesian church, the people and the, the Christians of this place, they might not have known everything, but they acted on what they did know. So much so that Paul's going to report, hey, you've you got to check out this group of believers. And how they were coming together as Jew and Gentile, I think, really touched his heart. And he's like, I've heard of your faith. Yeah, it's not perfect. You, don't, you can't tell me what necessarily the Ten Commandments are. But you're, 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 you're trusting in the finished work of Christ. For salvation of your sin, you know, of your souls, and the forgiveness of your sin. So, like, I, I, I've heard so much of that. I'm so pumped on that. But also, what flows out of that? They're they're really covering the shema here, right? From last week, they have the love for for Christ, and they have a love for each other. Um, so they're fulfilling what's needed to be fulfilled, even in their limited understanding of the gospel. Is not that amazing? Doesn't matter, God. God takes a, a a person like the thief on the cross, who he's just hanging there. He doesn't have a future. He doesn't have like, okay, after I get off this thing, you know, thief's mind. After I get off this thing, I'm going go to go to you know Judaism, with with uh, with the rabbi down the street. He's like, no, I don't have any future. What do I offer this Messiah next to me? I'm I'm unworthy. I'm a thief. I'm, I deserve to be up here on the cross, and I can't I can't understand more than a couple minutes here. But what did, what did Jesus respond to uh, with the thief next to him? You know, just a couple words. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you the truth. You might know this much. But I'm going to tell you that there's great inheritance waiting for you. In a matter of what could have been minutes, hours. You're, you're going you're to be so inundated with the gospel. You're, you're just going to flip out. And it's called paradise. That's the only working word that Jesus used there. It's like, don't worry. What you know is enough. You've humbled yourself. You've come to me, the Savior, and, and I receive you. Guys, With nothing else, know that. Know that. And you have everything. Jesus loves me. Me. Jesus died for me. You know, if you can say that. I mean, I teach my kids that. But sometimes when you just sit there and think about it, in your own, and you let it soak in your mind and your heart, I don't need to know everything. I just need to know something simple like, Jesus, you love me, and I receive that. I love you for that. That's all he wants, really. The rest is just to help you do more of that, right? It's not so you can get, like, puffed up in your knowledge. It's just to drive you to your knees in more worship. Because you're humbled in what you're discovering. The person that gets pumped up in knowledge has forgotten the gospel. Okay? When you get pumped up in what you know, or you can quote so-and-so scriptures, or you have so much highlighted in your Bible, or you can, you can impress people with the memorized scripture that you've memorized, you know, those things amount to nil if the other isn't there. I love Christ. He loves me. And because of that, I want to I wanna love those people around me. Now, you guys have a great opportunity, I think, especially in this summer, to love one another with the love that you're growing in your hearts for the Lord to really have that have an outpouring towards one another and and some of you I would hate I would hate to get to the end of the summer and have you guys not make an attempt to love one another and and you know like you're all what do you do you know you just have bonfire we all hug you know what what does that mean exactly you know what it takes it takes understanding It takes it takes understanding the gospel and then just going out of your comfort zone and literally just saying hey you know I'll admit my fellowship is a little thin with other believers because I don't really know a lot of other believers personally. You may be new to the area. You may be working and all your time and energy is literally 10 hours, 12 hours a day in your job and you, you have very little time for anything else or, or there's just a small group of friends and you really want to expand that because your fellowship, you know, is rich out there. You just want part of it. I would love for there to be that outpouring in this group. I want you guys to really step out of your comfort zone. You guys are all, you know, you're, you're, you're hitting the pavement hard for work. Hit it harder for fellowship. Hit it harder to love one another. Hit it hard to know, hey, you know what? I, I would love to know how I can be praying for you. Just that. I would love to know how I pray. Just you don't even have to go into specifics, just offering has has a message of love with it, right? When you send those offers out to people, it's like, I care about you. You're my brother, you're my sister, and that's all I need to know. Jesus loves me, I love you. Let's let's pray, let's lift it up, let's lift up this community. Let's what kind of, you know, here's one. Here's just one for you guys to run with. This is who I'm praying for to come to know the love of Christ. Would you pray with me in that regard? Um, second thing is that I was thinking about when we were worshiping was there's a guy in there that, that was serving here at the church and, and um, really, really tugging on my heart big time was just to be interceding for him um, when we are worshiping. So I was trying to do that and, and still and still worship God. But um, he's basically, he left here, and uh, like I said, he was serving, and, um, and things seemed to be going well. He was working full time. Uh, he was newly married. And, and it's not important who spe- the specific person is, but I would love to pray with him, uh, uh, pray for him as a group later on. But, but just know he's totally turning his back on everything that it has to do with holiness. He's left his wife. He's left his unborn child. He turns it back on God. He's cut off ties with me, with Brian. Does anyone who'd speak truth? And he knows it. That's the main thing. He knows it. He's basically saying, this is my sin. I'm choosing it over God and everything I know to be right, but so be it. And, and then chop, chop, chop. There's the balloons. You know, they're tied to the string. And, and his connection with us, just taking a scissor and just going like this. And, and our relationships with him are just going with it, you know. And um, like, how does that happen? You know how do, how do you get to to a point where you're just like, well, God loves me and I love people and I love my wife I love my I guess and then you just you just wake up one day and you're like, God oh, I, I want something else and just forsake God, forsake the people that you're supposed to love, you know first how's that happen? you know and, and part of the part of the things that I, I really really look to is man. Again, it's it's not like I'm going to say this ad nauseum. I'm afraid, but it's it's the truth. Guys, got to stay in love with Jesus. You have to stay in love with Jesus. It's not all like it's dependent on you, but in a sense, it is. Be about it like it is. Like this is serious life and death stuff. This guy has, as an example, has taken up, He's like holding out his hands, and somebody's like, "Hey, would you like a bomb?" And it's lit, and the fuse is lit, and it's burning down. And he's like, I'd love a bomb. Thank you. Let me, let me hug it for a while. This thing's exploding. He's holding on to shrapnel. And he's like, It's still worth it to me, even though my life's destroyed, to live apart from God. Lord, I don't want that to happen to one more person, let alone a bunch of people. And it all comes back to the gospel. Know what you know, whether it's a little or a lot, and run with that. Jesus, help me to love you more. Help me to stay close with you. Let me love your people and stay in fellowship. I love the fact that you guys are coming to this because, because it's an opportunity to hear the word, hear the gospel, to love Jesus more because of what you know in the word and then in turn love one another and be surrounded by people that are going to encourage you in your walk at this pivotal time in life when you have a direction to choose or you know, you're know you locked on. You, you have the, the author and finisher of your faith in focus. And you're not going to settle for relationships or anything else that's going to deter you from that most important relationship because you want to finish strong and you don't want to get sidetracked by people here and there that are going to distract you from that or take you in places you want to go. Or, you know, you who you guys, um, there is so much to entrap you and it's so subtle. And, and I say that confidently because you guys are mature, you guys are post-college, you guys are working, you guys are in relationships, maybe you're married. But you're heading down a path. You have choice. Choice other than Jesus is going to distract you, and and God forbid it be to the point where you're chucking your relationship with your wife out the window. And in and in sense, just saying, God, I, I, I'm I'm out of here. Don't want that to happen. Don't want that to happen to anyone. So it's worth staying with people that are encouraging the Lord, getting with other adults that love Jesus, and sticking with them and making community like this priority in your life so that when you forget the gospel someone's right there who's either a reminding you straight out this is the gospel or b you look at them and they're so in love with jesus because they themselves are so reminded of the simple gospel that you're hearing of their faith and you're like man thank you god like paul thank you god for these people because they're just firing me up about jesus because i can see they're 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 not just playing church they're running towards him and they're not looking back Aren't those the friends? Aren't those the relationships you want in your life? Isn't that where you want to be? be alongside people that are going to encourage you in the faith? That aren't going to say, Hey, you know what? Let's not go to church today. Let's go surf. Like, you know what? It's not a sin to go surfing instead of church. But it is if it's a pattern that says, Eh, Jesus. It's not a rule. It's just a desire here, right? In your heart says I can't get enough of Jesus. I want to be at every opportunity, not so I can look religious. Don't fall into that trap, but so I can love my Savior, so I can worship Him. I don't want to miss out on that, and I want people around me to to hear about that. And that was happening here, and Paul was getting wind of it, and he was so pumped. He's like, "There's more, you guys. This is what I'm going to pray for you. You're on a good. You're on a. You keep going where you're going. You love Jesus with your heart. You have love for each other." Here's what I want to pray for you. And get this. Prayer is the same thing for you guys, right? Three things. What were they? I want you to know... What does he say? I, after he says, I don't, give, I don't cease giving thanks for you. This is such a miracle that you exist and that you're, you're loving one another as God intended. Making mention of you in my prayers. Every time he thought of them, he just thanked God for them. Um, that's a good pattern, right? And he says that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. So he's like, guys, you're on the right path. My prayer for you is that you would just be blown away with the depths of the love of God as revealed in this plan of redemption. That was what? That was planned before the creation of the world ever began. This is how deep you can go. He says, I'm praying this, that you would understand more. And and in some translations, I loved how they put this, that maybe it says in yours, that the light of God would be, that your heart would be flooded with the light that comes from God. Um, it would just the glory and the purity and the and the and the uh, glory and the grace and the mercy of God would so inundate your heart it would just be like you can't see anything else because it's so bright and glorious. It's like I just want you to be flooded, I want you to be inundated, I want enlightenment to happen, I want the lights to be turned on so you can navigate your your environment and walk circumspectly as unto the Lord because it's a great calling. It is the best calling ever known. And ever could be possible for a a man or a woman. You are are in the right calling. The calling on your life is what? It's really simple. We broke it down. What's 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 the main calling in your life? Come on. Love God, right? The Shema. I'm all about the Shema. That's your calling. Love Him. The depths therein is limitless. Okay? The hope of that is what? He's like saying, you have an amazing calling, but it gives you hope. Why? Because there's a lot of garbage that we have to mud through on our way to paradise. And you're going to need hope. Right? You're going to need it. God loves me. And this circumstance, and this I'm suffering in, and this health infirmity, and and my friends getting persecuted as Christians, and me seeing pastors taken out, Left and right and whatever. I, I'm, I, I'm going through hardship. You need hope in your life. Everyone needs hope. But when you go back to your calling, which is to love God, because He loves you first, is, there's hope there to take you through those times. So He's like, I want you to understand more of what that hope is so that you won't get dragged down with all the stuff that everybody goes through. Number two, I want you to understand, okay, when He uses the word riches a lot, and I, I think it kind of loses the power of it a little bit as you keep reading riches, riches, riches. But he's saying, what are the riches of the glory, okay? What's the value? What's the inheritance here uh, is so valuable that, you were, that you're receiving both now and in, and in the future age to come. What do you have now? Everything we talked about. What do you have in the future? Goodness sake, I don't even know, but it's going to be awesome you know paul right he's like i don't know if i was in the body or not in the body i just know i was taken up to heaven and it's a lot better than here i was he's like i you know there was a guy who was a i don't know was a pastor he was preaching on that passage where paul you know he's basically describing this experience of being called into heaven he's like i can't even utter there was stuff i can't even utter it's impossible it's so glorious and uh And he was picturing he was describing this pastor he was describing the scene around paul 's dead body. they thought he was dead that might have been during one of his stonings where he, they left him for dead. They all thought he was dead, and he's probably at that point maybe going to heaven. I don't know, but at any rate he's like he's like, these guys are praying, Lord, please let Paul come back. We need him, you know he's he's so valuable to us. let him come back, and then paul's just his fist starts clenching because he's he's about to punch him out because they're praying for him to come back <laughs> You know, you know. do you know what I saw? No, of course you don't. But it's really, really great. Um, obviously, you can't do that justice. We could be here all night talking about what heaven is. I just know this. I'm, I'm going to eat a lot. I'm not going to gain any weight. <laughs> that's, just, that's just one of the things. Talk about riches, huh? Rich sauce, no problem. You can take it. <laughs> Good try tip What's the value? The riches, the value. It's just overflowing with value. The glory of it in the saints has been gifted freely by God to you, both in this life and the life to come. And then third, what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The super greatness of his power? What kind of power are you talking about, Paul? Oh, it's just the power that raised Christ from the dead. (laughs) That's the power we're talking about. It's, It's yours in Christ. Like, oh, that's pretty good power. I like that power. That's really good power. Raised Christ from the dead. Conquering death kind of power. Which I don't know exactly what that means, you guys. I'm not going to pretend I do. But I know that I'm not, I'm not really plugged into that source like I should be. If that's the power that's available to me, not that it's in my hands like Merlin. Uh-huh, you know, watch, I'll make you levitate. Not that kind of power. <laughs> but power to have what? Idolatry c- crushed in my life. To have change happen in my life. To have me love my kids like I want to. The, the fact that I can actually be faithful to my, life, my wife and, and love her as Christ loves the church. I need that power. I can't do it in my flesh. I've already tried many a times, many years. I'm on 15 now. It still doesn't work within my old flesh. I know that to be true. God, give me more power. Help me, help me love those who aren't lovable or who have hurt, hurt me. Help me to, you know, this Sunday we're going to be talking about Jesus says something crazy like this. He's like, if you get hit on one cheek, then give him your other one. Or if you want somebody to walk with a mile wants you to walk a mile with them, then walk two. Those kind of things, not in my flesh. I'm sorry. I need that from God somewhere else other than me because it's not going to happen naturally. I just, know, I just know myself. You guys know yourselves pretty well. know that. We're selfish at the core. We need that power and the power to really what? Overcome those things that are against me like the enemy of your soul. The enemy of your soul is a, is, a, is a defeated foe. So that's a kind of power. That's a pretty cool prayer to pray for anyone, huh? Those three things. God, bless them with more wisdom and understanding. Let their hearts be flooded with light to understand how great is the hope of your calling, how valuable, how, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance and the saints, and what is the exceeding power that raised Christ from the dead. Um, those are amazing prayers and that that he was praying it for these guys. So that's my prayer for you guys in this time together. I hope that happens. Um, so where did Christ end up? That's what the next few verses talk about. He ends up at the right hand of the father. I wish in a lot of ways we, we lived in a day and age, not, well, let me rephrase this. Uh, most kingdoms with absolute sovereign rulers are, are, dictators. Uh, in human history. Anybody have a history background or history majors? You know that to be true. Not a lot of people do really well with a lot of power. If all authority um, and rulership and kingdoms bow at your feet um, and you have that of power as a, as a human, not many people do really well with that. Um, whether you're Caesar or Alexander the Great or Napoleon or Stalin or you Hitler is an obvious example of things run amok but um i will tell you this real quick uh, i was really impressed with guys like george washington you guys are familiar with the fact that that guy they wanted to make him king in some cases they at least wanted to be president longer and he willingly um said no i want to be true to the ideals of this presidency and i want to have someone else lead because i don't want to be like a king and he, he willfully, he, he refused, in other words, to regain uh, or to, re, to withhold or to keep uh, authority and power in this land. As the first guy in that position to even have the opportunity, I'm like, oh my goodness, I love that. That looks like Jesus to me. You know, how, how much of a more humble king can you have than one who has all the nations at his feet? The earth is his footstool. He's at the right hand of the Father and then he still dies for the worst sinner. His enemy. That's, that's an amazing king, you guys. And because we don't really live in a monarchy type system, I think we lose some of that imagery that's powerful. When it talks about Jesus being a king. Because he's a humble king. And, and he's one that is will, willfully laying down his power and authority. Right? Philippians 2 comes to mind. Our attitudes should be the same as Christ Jesus. Um. He humbled Himself. So, but look what happens. God, the Father, says, okay, you've been obedient. Here's your inheritance. And guess what? Who's sharing in this inheritance? As if we were faithful like the Son. Us. Crazy. But He says, He's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also which is to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things of the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the king is actually really interested in the body as the head. He's really interested. He walks among the, the lampstands as we looked in Revelation. Was that last week? Did I go in? I can't remember what was Sunday and what was Wednesday. Now, Was that here? Yeah, Revelation. We went to Revelation, right? Lampstands and the, and the messengers and the pastors there. Yes, the Ephesian church, of course. It's all coming back to me. <laughs> Woo! Okay. Um, yes everything's under his feet so he is the head he is the head praise the lord the body is connected to him he's not separated from the body he's not ruling over it as a slave or a taskmaster. you care for your body you take care of your body you're interested in your body you're involved with your body you're working out your body you're uh, withholding certain things from the body you're working out the body you're doing all these things to make sure that's holy you're, you're making sure you take vitamins and that you keep out uh, invading um, viruses and invading toxicity, and you're trying to care for the body. He's basically saying there's a direct correlation between Jesus the head and the church, and he's filling the church in its entirety with himself. That is one deeply interested king and head. Isn't it wonderful to know everything you guys are experiencing, even in this very moment, all your heartache, all your stress, all your uncertainty with the future, I don't care what it is, how many days you're going to live, all those things are in he is interested in all those things. He's your head, he's the head of the church and he's in everything about the church. He knows he's actually praying at the right hand of the Father for you. The king is praying for you that's that's I don't understand that either, but he is, and I believe it because that's what' it's told to me. So who were we Well we were dead. This is is how great an offer we were to Jesus. It says we were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So in other words, you couldn't have offered God much, if anything, because you're dead. Dead people don't offer anything, in case you've forgotten that. God, I've done so much for you. See? That's why I should be saved. Well, you're dead, so you can't really offer anything. Why? Because you were once walking according to the course of the world. What comes naturally is opposite of what comes naturally to God. But you were walking according to... The, now, we were all in this place, right? We were according to, to Satan, prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, um, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the of the flesh. So Paul's basically, basically saying, everybody is in the same boat. We're in the same club. We all blew it. We all deserve wrath. That's why it says we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others... So where does that leave boasting? He's setting us up, right? He's reminding us of where we've been, how we were rescued in our deadness and our sin, our trespasses. And what does he say next? He pretty much throws it out there for all the people that find in themselves legalistic tendencies. To say, basically, God, I'm here because I've done well. I'm close to you because I've come. I'm drawing close to you because I've done well in my spirituality. Or God, I know you don't want me around because I've blown it again, and so I'm hiding from you, like Adam and Eve in the in the bushes. Paul sets us up because he says, "But God, who is rich in mercy, he's he's abounding in mercy for these people that were running after the world, running after the cares of the world, didn't give him a a, a care at all." following the lust of their flesh, following the desires of their flesh and of their mind, which are opposite of His will. He was rich or superabounding in mercy. In other words, He wasn't giving them wrath because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our sins, He made us alive together with Christ. Christ was raised from the dead. He's raising us as dead people to be alive in Him, to be with Christ By grace, he's just going to throw this right. He probably can't even wait to say this, right? He's like in the middle of a sentence. like, by grace, you've been saved. He's like been waiting on that, the whole letter. And he just has to insert it, right? Before 2, 8, and 9, which we've all pretty much known for a long time. He throws it in there. He's like, just so you know, it's by grace you've been saved. Unmerited favor. You have been saved, past tense. And he raised us up together. Jew and Gentile together. Male and female together. Rich and poor together. Black and white together successful and unsuccessful, failures and successes, all those kind of things. He's raised us up together. Those of us who have recognized where we've come from, yes, God, I was dead. Yes, God, I was in my sin. Yes, God, I deserve wrath. And I'm coming because you've offered me mercy and great love. And I'm receiving that unto myself. And in Christ and with Christ, I am saved. You are raising me up to be alive for you. And I will sit together in the heavenly places in who? In Christ Jesus. It all goes back to Christ Jesus. It's all His work on our behalf. How much did we contribute to to that whole plan of redemption? Not one iota. So Does that leave any room for boasting? That's the natural thought, right? No room for boasting for anyone. And Paul says it. He says... In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches or the value or the immense value of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And and right away he's going to beat us to the punch. Oh, okay, well I have something then. It's my faith, right? No, because it's not of yourself. It's a what? It's a gift. Man, I hope above all else you just let go of the whole thing of your performance has one iota of your acceptance in Christ or be on the same page that our performance has nothing to do with the love that God has for us even when we feel like wretches or even like man I've been here before or I'm saved God how could I be here again in my thought life in my actions it's like you start out dead he made you alive you're still alive you're not dead again it's not far back on the horse just hop back on Give great thanksgiving to God and start living according to what He wants you to do. Seeking Him because why? Because He loves you. It's not works, lest anyone should boast, for we are are His workmanship or His um, masterpiece. It's another way of saying that. We're His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that amazing that even when you, you're like, man, that was really good. I am a stud. Um, oh, wait, God had planned that out for me to, to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's him. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, were called on circumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. Praise the Lord by the blood of Christ. The scapegoat, the Lamb of God, the penalty for your sin was paid by the blood. And now you're white as snow and you can draw near to to the very throne of God which you could not enter had Jesus not died for you and shed his blood. There would be no way to come close, to draw near. To come with boldness. As another scripture would say. Um, In Christ Jesus. Notice how many times he says in Christ or with Christ or because of Christ. In this whole first two chapters. We haven't got two and a half chapters maybe. How many times has he said that? There's a reason for that you guys. Just remember every time you come in prayer. Every time you worship. Every time you start singing on a Sunday. Remember it's not just you coming. You're coming in Christ. And the Father hears the Son. So, but now you... Who once were separated, you've been brought forth. And by the way, that circumcision, they were pretty much making great claims to, well, we've been circumcised. But it says, notice that circumcision happens by hands and not by the Spirit. Not by the Spirit's work. It has to be a spiritual work. If it's both great, if it's one, it's not enough. It's got to be the work of God. But he says, you didn't even have that. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gospel, 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 gospel. More gospel and more gospel and more gospel and more gospel. And we've gone two and a half chapters. We're going to stop there. Um, it's almost at this point you're going, is this too good to be true? I mean, there's a... <laughs> There's a phrase that's fitting. I think that's one of them. Is this too good to be true, God? Are you serious? Is there hope for me to be involved in this somehow, some way? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yep. Blood was spilled. That's how serious I was that you would believe me. And and I didn't stay in the grave. I was raised. And there's great power there. And it's yours, believer, to have these things come true in your life. That you would love, God. That takes power, right? That he would want you to love him. like he, That takes power. It takes power to die to yourself on a daily basis. Guess what? When you're married, he ups the Annie, And he's like, you're going to die so much more than you ever thought you were going to die. And then, when, and then once you're married, you, di- you die a little more because, Lord willing, you have kids. And then you're like ratcheted down on the priority list. And you're like, okay, I'm dying some more here. Uh, it's time to go without sleep. I think there's a whole design over it. He's probably cracking up a lot. By just as we don't get it, you know, we're like, I can't believe I haven't slept all night. He's like, Yeah, that's because I want to kill you. Really, I want to kill you so that you rely on my power. I don't want you to be self-sufficient, right? And you wake up and you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do today to hurt my wife's feelings? I know it's something. God, please keep me from that. But I, more and large, my in large, when I get to the end of the night, and 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 Wendy and I um, often talk, then because the day's been crazy, I'll have to apologize for something. <laughs> that I've done. It's just a given. But it's all because I haven't died to myself. <laughs> and I'm selfish. That's what it comes down to. So get used to it. That's what my point is. Just get used to dying. Get dying. You know, you're dead and transgressed. That wasn't good. But now when you're dying as a Christian, now it's really good. Because you're letting the power of Christ come forth from your life to change your heart and to change, for better, your environment. And when you get a lot of Christians together with that as their goal, man, Communities are changed. Nations are changed. Um, Lives are changed. Cool.